0: Hello and welcome to this session of Catechesis from Christ Church Waco. I'm Father Lee Nelson and it's good to have you with us today. Uh, We're talking about the Ten Commandments today and we'll be beginning on page 93 of To Be a Christian, an Anglican Catechism. We'll begin with question 268, but first let us pray. Almighty and eternal God, so draw our hearts to you, so guide our minds, so fill our imaginations, so control our wills, that we may be wholly yours, utterly dedicated to you, and then use us, we pray, as you will, and always to your glory and the welfare of your people, through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, as we talk about the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments are found in two places in Holy Scripture. The first is Exodus twenty, and the second is Deuteronomy five. You remember the story is told that Moses leads the people out of captivity in Egypt, across the Red Sea, and into this uh, land where they wander. And it is from Mount Sinai, where he first met with God in the midst of a burning bush, that Moses receives these commandments. And the commandments are first spoken audibly in Exodus chapter 20, uh, where all the people can hear them. And what sets the Ten Commandments apart is that they are heard audibly. The rest of the law is given to Moses alone because the people beg Moses to say to God, uh, you know, "Don't don't let him speak to us anymore, because we'll die from hearing his voice." And so these Ten Commandments have always held a very important place uh, in uh, in not only the Jewish imagination but the Christian imagination as well. And uh, it's largely been considered that uh, the basis for um, for Christian teaching on Basic morality or behavior, or as this catechism puts it, uh, becoming like Christ, uh, should be based in the teaching of these commandments. Um, remember that uh, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind, and love the love your neighbor as yourself. Are the uh, is the so-called summary of the law, and it is a summary of the Ten Commandments. Meaning that the commandments are not abolished uh, in the name of uh, sort of this this uh, this this nice, easy, uh, love-centered uh, understanding of the law. No, they're fulfilled or they're summarized in it. And so that's an important thing to keep in mind as we go forward. Um, the other thing that I would say is there's a lot of confusion about this. Uh, obviously, the law has a lot to say about a whole lot of things. Uh, but uh, even as, and I, this is important, um, uh, many people will say, well, so which commandments are you to keep, right? Right. Um, there are lots of things that are contained in the Old Testament law that, that, that Christians don't keep. So why these? What's different about these? Well, the first, I would say, is that they're held audibly. Uh, the second is that um, that uh, Christians have held, uh, really since the very earliest times of the church, that, um, that the church has the authority to interpret the law in terms of which uh, laws we must keep, especially with regard to uh, Gentile believers, such as, um, you know, most of us are. Uh, there are a few at Christchurch who are uh, who have a Jewish background, uh, but but I'm not one of those. And and uh, so there's there's a there's a meeting out of that happens in in the Acts of the Apostles as to what exactly uh, Christians who who are coming um, from the nations, so to speak, outside of Israel, uh, are to keep. And so. Um, those uh, certain commandments are not kept. But it's always been understood that the Ten Commandments are kept and that we keep the word of Jesus as well. We keep his commandments. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. And so uh, there is a very important part of the Christian life that that falls to obedience. And so the reason that uh, we can uh, do things that are proscribed in the law, such as um, eating uh, shellfish or uh, eating pork, is, um, are opened up in the Acts of the Apostles, and they're opened up to church authority. Peter understands that when he sees this vision of this sheep being lowered down to earth, uh, saying, rise, Peter, kill and eat, it's an opening up of the covenant to the Gentiles, he understands this. He also understands that uh, certain requirements of the law can be dispensed with when it comes to Gentiles, and that's why uh, most Christians do not keep the law as it was given then. In fact, uh, keeping the law for anyone is is quite uh, difficult, and. Uh, And uh, so certain forms of Judaism don't hold to the law like they would otherwise, mainly because there's there's no way to keep the law uh, with no temple in place, but that's another subject for another day. I simply want to identify that uh, much of what we read in the Old Testament uh, was by church authority uh, and and by the authority of of Christ himself. dispensed with. And so I, I think it's important to say that when anyone tries to catch you saying, well, the law says this. Well, uh, you know, much of that law was dispensed with um, in Christ. And so, um, and so we, we hold that and we understand that. Um, many of these laws hold directly to, uh, to the identity of a people, especially the people of Israel. Um, and, and they're meant to be a kind of law of national identity, um, but the, the commandments are in a class by themselves, and I think the, the Ten Commandments are in a, certainly in a class by themselves, and they've been held uh, to, have, to be binding for Christians um, throughout the centuries, and that's why they're taught in, in catechisms, and especially in this catechism for our purposes today. So let's jump in. We're going to look at the, at the first uh, commandment today, and uh, we'll move on to the other commandments throughout the summer, uh, probably do about once a week. Uh, but what is the first commandment? Question 268. The first commandment is, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. Last week we mentioned that uh, in Jewish understanding, the first commandment is simply this, I am the Lord your God. <laughs> uh, that's it, full stop. Uh, I am the Lord your God. Uh, Christians have understood that the first commandment uh, includes also, you shall have no other gods before me. It is to say that God has exclusive rights to his people. He has exclusivity as the only God uh, to be worshiped, and, and none can come before. Question 269, what does it mean that the Lord is your God? It means that I have faith that the God of the Bible is the only true God, and that I entrust my, myself to him wholly. Uh, this, this law has meant uh, to Christians, in particular, that uh, there are no other true God's, and that uh, God asks for our full obedience and our full uh, attention and worship uh, and and honor. Um, For God to be Lord uh, means that he rules. Um, uh, This lordship uh, essentially means, um, in, in, in no small terms, that we are subject to that rule. Um, And so when we speak about the lordship of God, when God is Lord, or when we say that Jesus is Lord, more specifically as Christians, um, then we're saying clearly that uh, God has rule over us. He rules over us, and uh, we follow his laws and not anyone else's. Question 270, what does it mean to have no other gods? It means that there should be nothing in my life more important than God and obeying his will. I should worship him only and love, revere, and trust him above all else. Nothing can be more important than God in obeying his will." Uh, this is a very uh, a standard Christian teaching, but I fear that it's one that many people have, have sort of left behind. They say, well, you know, I can, I can obey my own will and, and, and hope that it's in accord with God's will. No, that's not what the commandment saying. The commandment is saying, uh, you shall have no other gods before me, even if the God that you happen to worship is yourself. Um, and, and that's a, often the, the God that we worship better than anyone else is ourselves. We put ourselves in the place of God. We pray to ourselves. And uh, this this cannot happen um, uh, if we are to hold that God is the Lord. Um, We must make make him of first importance and obey his will. Now, there's a kind of obedience that we need to be wary of, and that obedience falls to uh, doing things out of fear of what the consequences would be. Um, Many parents use fear as a kind of deterrent, uh, fear of them as uh, something that should teach our children how to take right action. Uh, This is uh, a a sorry replacement for real uh, parental authority. Um, The kind of authority that I aspire to in my own life as a father is the kind of um, authority that comes from one who is trusted as one who is wise one who is obeyed as one who is to be obeyed uh, because not only of my identity, but because, um, because I'm loved by my children. This is the kind of obe- obedience that God wants as a loving father, and it's the kind of obedience that uh, Jesus Christ, his only son, desires of us. Is, is this loving obedience. Um, this obedience also exists, and we should point this out, uh, within Christian marriage. Um, husband and wife are to obey one another, and it is in this that there is love. Um, C.S. Lewis once wrote in uh, in this wonderful book, wonderful book, that hideous strength. Uh, uh, it's a discussion between a very wise man and a, and a young woman, and 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 he he says to her when she's asking for marriage advice, she she asks him for marriage advice, and he says, you know, you 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 fail in love because you're lacking obedience. Um, you don't. Fail in obedience because you're lacking in love. You fail in love because you lack obedience, and and it's not the kind of subservient obedience that he's drawing attention to—that she should obey her husband in that uh, in that sense that sends so many terrible connotations through our minds. But in the sense of I should set myself aside uh, and should make myself subject um, to the desires and to the to to the love of my of my wife or husband. Um, my children should obey me because they know that, that I have their best interests at heart um, because I'm wise, because I'm dependable, because I love them, and I show that. That's the kind of obedience that God wants. The second sentence of this answer is, I should worship him only and love, revere, and trust him above all else. The Christian faith calls us to exclusive worship of the one true God. Um, there are, there are, Often in history, and especially in in, um, in Israel's history, a kind of what we call syncretism. Syncretism is this idea that I can sort of pile on uh, the cults of the gods, and I can have multiple gods. and And part of the idea is that that it's it's like this. Well, what if I'm wrong about the one true god? What if I don't have it right? What if I, what if I don't understand it properly? And what if the other god over here is the true god? Well, maybe I should have a temple to the to to the God of all that's revealed in Scripture, and another God over here. And I'll just sort of hedge my bets against the uncertainty that maybe I'm wrong, right? And, and the problem with that is, is, is manifold. One is that our hearts begin to be split in half, sometimes in many different pieces, uh, and we, we become uh, disintegrated in the, in, the, in the fullest sense of that word we begin to be separated in our loves, we begin to be separated in our, in our obediences, and we become fragmented people. God wants his people to obey him, to worship him only. Um, and this is why uh, you know, uh, we don't observe other kinds of worship uh, within this church. It's, it's why, if anybody asked me, "Well, we hold a community gathering in this church. Well, it's actually why um, many people have asked me, churches I've served, you know, uh, could, would you be willing to let us have our wedding in the church? And, and often the answer is, well, I don't know you. Uh, I don't know what you're going to do. I don't, you know, we, and, and then I wind up saying, well, this church has been consecrated, has been set apart um, for worship according to the Book of Common Prayer, and nothing else can be done. So if you would like me to officiate a wedding, we'll, we'll do six sessions of pre-marriage counseling. You can join the church and we'll do it. But otherwise, we can't. And it's simply—the reason I say that is that uh, that we do not want within this within this very holy building uh, to have our worship divided. Um, and and so there's great care given in that. It's also to say something really important, which is that uh, there's there's a kind of syncretism today uh, that tends towards. Uh, either a kind of uh, happy pluralism in the sense that I'm going to be all things that I that I could possibly imagine. I'll take the good from this and the good from this and the good from this. But we wind up becoming disintegrated through that. Or it's, it's that uh, we start to say, well, you know, if a reading from the Bible is good, why not a reading from the Quran in the midst of the church? Or why not this or that and other thing? And, and the, the Christian um, claim is that not all forms of worship are equal. Not all forms of worship are of the same God. And so uh, and we believe in the, in the exclusive worship of the one true God. In addition to that worship of God only, uh, we should also only love, revere, and trust him above all else. There is a kind of forsaking of all other loves, of all other reverences uh, that the Christian takes on. Now, is this to say that uh, you can only love God? Well, I think we wouldn't want to say that. We wouldn't want to say that, for instance, um, to a newly married couple, you know, like, well, you can you can love, well, you can't. No, you just Don't love your spouse. You can only love God. Uh, no, that's not really being said here. I think there is a way of, uh, and a very good way of loving God by loving your neighbor, by loving your spouse, by loving your children, but we also have to temper that a bit by saying, "But you have to love God above all else. You have to forsake everything else, just as a husband forsakes all else for his wife to love his wife, um, and, a, and a woman the same." Um, revere meaning that uh, we we owe God a kind of reverence, a deep reverence, whereby we take we take the worship of God seriously. We take his name seriously, uh, and all of that will show itself as we go through the commandments. And also to trust God above all else. And this is often the hardest thing, uh, to to put all of our trust, indeed all of our hopes um, in God, and to to trust him above every other thing um, and every other person. Uh, You can certainly probably think of someone in your own life where if they were to disappoint you, it would be Utterly devastating. Um, if they were to uh, uh, reject you in any way, it would be utterly devastating. Um, and and you may spend more or less time worrying about that. What would happen if this person betrayed me? Um, and maybe we say, well, if, if God betrayed me, then and you know, oh, okay, fine, I'll I'll move on. And you know, life life is hard. That's it. Um, but but no, we are to trust God with with the heart, with the heart that's formed to love him. Um, and it needs to be said as well uh, that that this trust means to not only believe what he says, but to live our lives on the basis of this trust, um, such that we're not led astray by, by other competing goods. Question 271. Why are you tempted to worship other things instead of God? I am tempted because my sinful heart seeks my own desires above all else and pursues those things which falsely promise to fulfill them. We human beings are uh, in in many ways captive to desires, and they are uh, very often disordered desires. They are not uh, held to any kind of uh, standard or modicum. Uh, They are are deeply disordered. Um, it's It's not that I love ice cream. That's the, that there's a problem. The problem is I love ice cream too much, right? And that's why, you know, well, I don't want one scoop. I want three scoops. I want four scoops. Um, but it's, those, those desires have to be tempered um, instead of tempted. My, my sinful heart seeks after my own desires. Um, I want to fulfill my own desires, and I don't want uh, to set aside my desires for the desires of someone else, let alone God. Um, a friend of mine uh, had uh, uh, a hunting dog, and this hunting dog was notorious for being uh, kind of a a, a, a bum dog uh, that didn't really, <laughs> didn't do that well in the field, and, and dove season would come up, and duck season would come up, and the dog was just kind of worthless, just sort of lying there. And and so he took the dog to the dog's trainer and said, you know, what's, what's, what's up with this? How can we fix this? And the trainer looked and said, you know, he, he pointed out a dog out in the field that was... Uh, Really, a perfect hunting dog. And he said, You see that dog over there? Uh, That dog gets up in the morning and she asks herself, What would please me? Um, What would please my master? What What would bring joy to him? And that's something that's trained into her. Your dog, on the other hand, Wakes up in the morning and says, "What would please me? You know, what what would I like to eat today? What would I like to? Uh, what couch would I like to sleep on? Um, you know, those those sorts of things." Um, and the point the trainer was making, which I think we can take to heart as Christians, is 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 this very important thing that 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 uh, keeping the first commandment is about setting aside all the desires that we have in favor of God's will, to trust Him above all else. To seek out the desires of the loving Father before our own; those those desires, as disordered as they are, uh, they give false promises, don't they? They say, "Well, I can I can make you happy," and uh, you know, who hasn't been disappointed uh, by that by that large bowl of ice cream? Right? You, you eat it and, it and it tastes so good, but the the, the pleasure drops invariably. And later you're left with a stomachache, and you think, "Why did I do that? I was so stupid. Why did I do that?" Or, or maybe it's it's something else. Like you know, you're you're tempted to um, go off to some party with some people you know you shouldn't be around, and and you wake up feeling terrible the next day, and you think, "Why did I do that? Why did I think uh, that that would bring me happiness?" It's always shown to be false. The problem is that over time, it, it it becomes less and less severe. It becomes less and less clear that that's the case. But it is still nonetheless the case. Question 272. How are you tempted to worship other gods? I am tempted to trust in myself, my pleasures, my possessions, my relationships, and my success, wrongly believing that they will bring me happiness, security, and meaning. I am also tempted to believe superstitions and false religious claims and to reject God's call to worship him alone let 's break this in half there are two sentences going on here. the first is that we're tempted to trust um, in in all of these other gods including ourselves to trust in pleasure to bring us happiness to trust in our possessions um, you know uh, i've known I've known many people through the years who have just this one this one possession it might be their car it might be an instrument they have it might be it might be uh, their favorite chair um, and and they know that no matter how bad a day will be, they'll still be able to get in that car. They know that no matter how, day, how bad a day will be, they'll still be able to sit in that chair. No matter how bad a day will be, they'll still get to come home to that wife they love or that husband they love. But you take that away and, and everything collapses. Um, we cannot even trust in the relationships that we have above God. We cannot even trust in our marriages. If you're married, you know you, there's all this sense that, you know, at least at least with all the troubles I face, I've got a good marriage, you know. And and you might say, wow, what if that fell apart? I don't even know what I'd do. And and part of you has to kind of step back and say, oh, hold up. God God can be glorified in the midst of a troubled marriage as much as a good one. Um, it's all a matter of this perspective which we have. It's all a matter of saying that, that we desire the glory of God more than anything else. Many of us are enslaved to this idea that if we can just be successful, then we'll be happy. Um, and happiness is actually, on the scale of it, a, a, a lower, lesser God. Because we have two more that come in, this, in the end of this sentence. Security and meaning. We want to be safe. And let me tell you this, friends. Safety is an illusion. It's an illusion. I mean, I drive a Volvo for crying out loud. I, I know, and I can be relatively assured, that, that that car will probably save my life in most instances. But it is not a sure bet. I can trust that that my house isn't going to burn down in the middle of the night, but I can only be so sure. Um, I can hold that that uh, that my financial life is going to stick a bit, but I can never be that sure. I can I can trust that that uh, that that there will not be great danger visited upon my neighborhood by this, that, or another thing, but we can never be sure. And, and that can become a God. Seeking out safety can become a God. Um, we have seen a whole nation, uh, rightly or wrongly, I, you know, I, I'm not, I don't mean to speak to that today, but, but that in many nations of the world, that for the sake of safety, set aside any manner of other goods. And I'm not saying that was the wrong decision. I'm just simply saying that people value safety to a point where they're willing to sacrifice deeply for it. They value their lives. What happens when we begin to put safety and security above the living god and lastly perhaps most uh, most troubled of all is that we can be uh, tempted to believe that the things in this life the relationships we have the successes we have will bring us meaning and meaning is is the is the ultimate quest right i mean it's the thing that uh, Everybody seems to be after these days. We really want there to be meaning behind life. We really want there to be more than just what we see and what we eat and and, and the amount of pleasure we can have in life. There's got to be something more. And we Christians hold that, 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 that the deepest meaning, the most meaningful things are to be found in relation to the one who made them. We hold this whole universe is shot through with with sacramental meaning, meaning that the whole world shows us God's grace Um, and and is a very clear message of God's grace. Um, We're so tempted to put meaning in other things, to say, well, maybe this means something else. Maybe it means X, Y, Z, or any any number of things. Uh, We we seek after meaning to the point where we're willing to make it up. to feel that meaning. And this is where the next part of this answer comes from. Uh, superstitions, false religious claims. People believe things every day. They believe them and they persist in them that just aren't true. That simply are not true. And will persist in believing them all the time. That if you do just this thing just right, that everything will work out. Not only that, but we've got all kinds of superstitions, right? I mean, we have in Waco. We have, we got tarot card readers. We've got palm readers. We've got uh, all kinds of things that are supposed to give that meaning to you, that are supposed to help you with that. Um, we do things even that are that are just kind of silly, um, just because we put hope in it. Um, things like buying a lottery ticket um, and praying that it'll be the right one. All of this can amount to rejecting God's call uh, to worship him alone. Um, The Christian finds that their ultimate end, and in fact the ultimate end for which all human beings were made, is the peace and security of God himself. To worship him, to know him, to love him, and to do so perfectly for all eternity. Of course that brings up another question, well can we do that now? You know, uh, so question 273, can you worship and serve God perfectly? The answer is, no, only our Lord Jesus Christ worshiped and served God perfectly. But I can seek to imitate Christ, knowing that my worship and service are acceptable to God through him. Um, you and I try as we might, and even in these uh, wonderful settings where, you know, at Christ Church, we, we, we worship according to a liturgy, um, and, and it and it can be very freeing to people. And sometimes it's hard to get into it, it's hard to figure out, like, you know these written prayers they they seem very insincere and and then maybe six weeks later you think oh my but I love it it's so freeing and so it just opens me up to all these things that's that's a good thing but we need to keep in mind that the worship which we offer God as the church is not perfect in of itself it can't be perfect by perfect, we don't simply mean that it's 100% right. What we mean is that it is ordered towards its perfect end. That all of our worship be, be, be truly worship, that it be truly a service to God, according to what he wants, according to what he desires. In that way, the only thing that we can really do is seek to enter into Paul talks about, and what Hebrews talks about, is entering into the sanctuary of God by the perfect blood of Christ. To enter into this way of worship, because Jesus enables us to do it, because He gives us His grace to be able to do it. This is why, in the beginning of the of the liturgy here, and in any Anglican church, we start with Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. What is necessary for this perfect love of God and for this worthy magnifying of the name of God? What's necessary is the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift of God's love, the gift of God's grace, that we can enter into this uh, this reality. And in fact, what happens in this church is that the whole body of Christ is lifted up um, to, to Christ at the right hand of the Father, where worship and acceptable uh, praise are offered. Um, and so uh, the way of keeping this commandment at the end of the day um, for the Christian is through the person of Jesus Christ. That's why we end our prayers with through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's why uh, we, we we enter into the liturgy with this appeal to God, to send us his Holy Spirit that we may worship perfectly. It's why, we, it's why we repeat over and over again, Lord have mercy upon us, Christ have mercy upon us, Lord have mercy upon us. We're praying for the mercy of being given this gift. And so in the end of the day, worship is not actually something we do, but it's something that God brings us into, He incorporates us into this worshiping body. And therefore, uh, we're enabled to worship him and worship him alone. May Almighty God bless you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.